Well, great. Thank you to everyone who is joining this um, Advocacy Services Committee open call uh, for ACB members and friends. I uh, hope everyone had an easy time logging in. And whether you found out about this through the leadership or announce an advocacy email list or through the ACB website where we have all of the community calls uh, listed and you can link to that right under the news tab from the acb.org homepage. There's a bunch of other calls going on. Uh, this one tonight, Jeff asked Claire Stanley and me if we could give an update um, on things that have been going on basically with the national office and in Washington, DC. So surprise, surprise, everything right now is uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 related. And before we jump into that, I'll ask Claire Stanley to introduce herself as well. Claire, you might be muted. Can you hear me now? I can. Perfect. I was muted. Um, I will say everything I just said again. Good evening, everybody. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist with ACB in the National Office, and I'm excited to share with you guys tonight and hear back from you guys as well. Thanks, Claire. And uh, you remind me I did not really introduce myself. So Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB, a role that I've been in for a little over a year now. So what a great way to celebrate that one year anniversary. Really uh, taking it up a notch here with this uh, current pandemic. But fortunately, the national office, everyone is set up to telework and work remotely. So even though our physical office locations are closed, uh, we are still accessible and working hard for ACB members. Um, so as many folks are aware, Congress last week and the president signed on Friday, Congress passed, the president signed on Friday, the CARES Act. Um, this was a 2.2 trillion with a T trillion dollar stimulus package um, for the U.S. economy. This is the third stimulus package that has been passed by Congress. And this one has uh, a lot of good and some other stuff that we're, that we're watching included in it. Um, so I know that many folks have been following and are aware of the provisions for the Department of Education. Uh, so initially, as this bill was progressing through Congress, uh, we received word that there was some language included in the Senate the Senate draft bill um, that would provide for a report to come from the Department of Education to Congress within, um, that would provide waivers for the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, um, IDEA. Um, obviously, we're not a fan of, of this provision. Um, so this has been included in the final bill. So the Department of Education has 30 days uh, to provide a report back to Congress on parts of IDEA that they would like to receive waivers for. Um, currently, there is no 
vehicle for uh, for the Department of Education to receive waivers. So once they get deliver that report to Congress, this would take the form of um, Congress passing legislation to provide them uh, relief from those regulations. So that's something that not only ACB and our members, uh, Special Education Committee, Advocacy Services, many of our folks who work um, in the education and state VR fields are closely monitoring, uh, but also our partners, the American Foundation for the Blind, um, who else, uh, AER uh, BVI, where Mark Reichert, ACB First Vice President, is now the interim executive director. They're watching this issue closely, and our friends at the Vision Serve Alliance are closely monitoring this as well. Um, so once that report goes from education to Congress, uh, we will certainly respond and keep everyone informed. The, the bill wasn't all bad news for uh, education and especially education for students with disabilities. It also included, forgive me, I don't remember the exact number, but somewhere in the range of 30 to $40 billion um, for special education. And this can be used for assistive technology um, and other things that would certainly benefit students uh, with visual impairments as they're all moving to distance learning and e-learning platforms. Also on that front, if you know students who are now forced to learn uh, remotely and they're having issues with the, the platforms, um, the websites or the applications that their schools or universities are using, please reach out and let us know. It's just something that we want to watch and monitor. Uh, we want to make sure that every student still has the opportunity to receive their uh, free and appropriate public education, uh, but also ACB members and students who are in uh, college or university settings, we want to make sure that they're still able to continue with their course loads as everyone shifts to the online learning environment. So. You'll probably hear this a lot throughout this presentation, but you can always email Claire and me at advocacy at acb.org. Uh, next, the, the bill included provisions to help um, workers as well as small businesses and nonprofits. Um, so the Small Business Administration has the authority to provide uh, loans and grants and that is something that ACB uh, will be looking into. Um, it's potentially something that many of the other organizations, national organizations, and even your local organizations like Lighthouses and other folks who provide services to people who are visually impaired um, could be pursuing. Um, this, the current uh, shelter in place and social distancing uh, orders from state and local governments this has really impacted uh, a lot of folks, their ability to provide services and also potential revenue streams that they may have. Um, so these loans will allow them to uh, receive loans that could potentially turn into grants to help maintain payroll, uh, to keep paying employees, as well as some facility charges as well. Um, so that's something that organizations should be encouraged to look into. Also, if individuals are independent contractors, um, gig economy workers, 
there's expanded unemployment benefits. Um, so not only could you get more unemployment benefits from the state, but there's also uh, federal unemployment benefits on top of that as well that are important to look into. Um, Claire, do you want to talk about some of the uh, transportation related issues that you've been sure. working on? Can you hear me now? <laughs> yes. Great. Um, so in the transportation realm, we have been talking a lot about what accommodations still need to be necessary. As I'm sure it's not a surprise to all of us, transportation has been significantly cut in most counties and states um, because people need to stay in place and uh, lack of services and that kind of thing. However, we have been strongly advocating that even with the cut down of transportation, we need to still make sure that transportation is available for those of us who rely on it to do things like go to the grocery store, doctor's appointments, et cetera. So we have been talking about um, ensuring that those basic rights are there. The Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities Transportation Task Force drafted a letter that went out to um, many different federal agencies, as well as all members on the Hill who are part of the uh, Transportation and Infrastructure um, Committee through the House of Reps to talk about these different needs. So things like ensuring that even with the cut of public, uh, public bus systems that transportation is still provided. Um, also talking about sanitation purposes for public transportation and protective personal equipment for the bus drivers. So making sure that people are still safe when they do have to take the bus. Um, another topic that's been discussed and advocated for is uh, even though bus lines are being cut significantly, not cutting paratransit down because um, uh, under the way the law is written when public bus systems are cut down, paratransit is also permitted to be cut down uh, to the same fraction as that that other people are receiving. But we want to make sure that paratransit isn't completely um, eliminated as a result. So we've been doing a lot of advocacy in that space as well. And we're going to continue to talk about them. Um, we've been able to put in some suggestions for what we're calling COVID-4 or the fourth stimulus package. We've been putting in some language with other disability advocates for what This, these topics that I'm talking about in transportation are being brought up. Um, so again, just ensuring that transportation still is available, that those of us who are blind and visually impaired aren't completely left without any transportation, and that transportation we've talked about, and ACB has been a sponsor in a letter, has to do with uh, backloading of buses. Many county bus systems are implementing a process now where you can only exit the bus through the back door and the purpose is to uh, protect the bus driver. Um, however, that presents a, a difficulty for people with disabilities, but specifically for those of us who are blind and visually impaired, most of us are not used to locating the back door. So they've implemented, or, or I should say, we've suggested some ideas that have gone before many bus trade unions and things like that to suggest things like putting up signs with high contrast for those who are low vision. Um, if possible, using the auditory system to announce where the back door is. Um, publicizing widely that this is the new policy so that we know ahead of time that that's what's gonna go on in your county or city. Um, 
encouraging that the bus drivers are patient and that they don't just pull away um, so they can recognize that blind or visually impaired uh, passengers are going to be there and need a little extra time. Um, still a process, something in process, um, but those are some of the issues we're talking about in transportation. Also talking uh, very briefly about our two imperatives, transportation related um, from 2020, the autonomous vehicle issues, as well as the surface transportation bill. We obviously haven't been doing much about them because we've been so consumed by uh, COVID, but I wanted to bring them up because we have continued to hear murmurs that uh, Congress thinks they want to work one or both of those issues into either COVID-4 or future stimulus packages. So again, we keep hearing murmurs that those two issues could be folded right into one of these um, oncoming stimulus packages. So we'll keep you guys posted as we hear if that is the case. Thanks, Claire. And we'll, we'll touch on the, the pending fourth stimulus package here in a bit as well. Um, so as Claire mentioned, we're working a lot with the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, um, which is kind of an umbrella organization where national disability groups are the members. And it's a, it's really a great clearinghouse. Um, it's, it's very difficult for a, a small nonprofit or nonprofit with a small staff to keep track of all of these issues and subject areas. Um, especially when legislation is moving so quickly like these stimul stimulus packages are. So being affiliated and a member of CCD uh, really helps share that load across many organizations and the task forces. So that way everyone's able to pool information and also respond quickly um, with a single voice. You know, a lot of time we hear from lawmakers um, that, oh, you know, ACB, you say one thing, other disability groups say another. Um, well, we just don't know what to do. Well, when we were able to sign on to a letter from, <laughs> sign on to, a letter that Claire drafts as one of the co-chairs of the CCD Transportation Task Force, it's not just ACB speaking, but it's the CCD organization, as well as, you know, any number of the hundred organizations that belong to CCD. So it's really the community speaking um, in unison with one voice and giving it a clear message to policymakers. Other areas that we've done that, certainly we did that on uh, the legislation, the part of the legislation dealing with education. So again, IDEA, uh, we joined a letter that was drafted by the American Foundation for the Blind and sent to the Department of Education. Uh, but then also we led a letter um, that was co-signed by ACB and AFB, just the two organizations um, showing unison and solidarity on that issue. Also in the space of healthcare, ensuring that patients could receive up to uh, 90 days of their prescription. So they're not having to venture out into the world every 30 days and facing potential uh, medication shortfalls included in the stimulus and a, a measure that ACB and the broader disability community supported was allowing patients to request um, extended prescriptions to cover up to 90 days. Um, other things that we're supporting and we're working on including in the stimulus packages is the flexibility of telehealth and uh, remote health care. Um, and not only having those available through video consultation, but we know many of our members 
um, either don't have access to uh, video communication or they're more comfortable using either a landline or a feature or basic cell phone. So trying to ensure that healthcare providers can do an initial consultation just through voice communication is something that we think would be really beneficial and that we're working with the broader community to support. Also, like in the education space, uh, the employment space, in the healthcare space, we wanna make sure that these systems that are being used are accessible. Uh, so any telehealth or electronic health records that the government's going to fund, uh, we wanna make sure that these are compliant with the ADA and that none of our members will be shut out from these remote services uh, due to them being inaccessible. Um, another effort that Claire has been involved with, and I'll have, Claire, I'll have you talk about uh, involving Social Security and the uh, individual stimulus payments. Uh, yeah, so in the Social Security realm, um, this week we've been speaking um, a lot about the 2020 recovery rebates is what it's called under the COVID-3 stimulus package. Um, so there are a lot of different components of it, but in a nutshell, and I'm sure many of you have heard, um, persons who make $75,000 or less um, will receive a $1,200 recovery rebate. Couples will receive double that. Or, excuse me, dependents, you get another um, addition. Um, there are a lot of different provisions, but that's the basics of it. However, um, in order to receive that rebate, they go based on your 2018 or 2019 uh, tax filing if you filed already for 2019. Um, so they'll either send the check to the address that's in your system or if you have a, uh, a bank account on record, as many of us do when we do our taxes, it'll be directly deposited. Well, for persons who receive SSI, um, they don't file taxes because it's you know an, an untaxable um, income. And that is a pretty significant portion of uh, persons with disabilities. The number that we've been tossing around in the disability community is around 4 million, give or take. Um, so those people won't automatically get the recovery rebate. So this week we've been writing some letters directly to the Treasury, um, the SSA commissioner, as well as the VA, because it all also impacts some VA members as well, to say we need to come up with a way to make sure that these people don't have to go out of their way to file a tax return if they're not even receiving taxes, and it's an um, extra burden on top of them on, on their I should say. So we're trying to come up with a solution that these people who receive SSI or VA benefits can get the rebate just like everybody else who's filed taxes in the last couple of years. So uh, we wrote this letter and I know we heard from Gamal McCormick from uh, Casey's office that they've been talking with the IRS. A few solutions have been bandied about, but we're still not happy with the end uh, end product yet. So we uh, turned in a letter and we'll be having some discussions moving forward with that. All right. Thanks, Claire. Um, another issue that we are monitoring. So the, the stimulus bill included 400 million, uh, million with an M, dollars for federal elections. Many states are having to postpone their primaries. 
Uh, other states are looking at going to uh, remote voting only, uh, such as vote by mail. And we really wanna make sure that whatever system uh, the states put in place has an option that is accessible for people with disabilities. Um, so for example, the work that we did uh, through the second half of last year and the bill SB 94 that was passed in West Virginia and signed by the governor into law this year would provide for accessible electronic absentee voting. And we think that this is something that should be encouraged for all states uh, to look into adopting. So again, we're working broadly uh, with the, the legal representation who worked with us in West Virginia, as well as other disability organizations. This will be another issue where we have a, uh, a broad coalition sign-on letter that we want to send to Congress um, so that in the fourth stimulus package, um, they can include provisions that would encourage this. Um, it's not like we need a, a law to make this happen because it already is the law. Uh, we have the Help America Vote Act from 2002. We have the Americans with Disabilities Act and we have the Voting Rights Act. Um, so it's, the law is pretty clear, um, but as Congress is doling out hundreds of millions of dollars, we want them to remind the states of their obligation that they must provide an accessible means of voting not only at the polling place, but when voting remotely as well. And ideally, this is a system where individuals with disabilities or otherwise can remotely um, read, fill out, and then also cast their ballots. So that's something that and, we're looking at. Sorry, go ahead, Claire. And I was just gonna say, this is especially important at this point, considering the fact like it's looking like most of us won't have the ability to vote in person. I know that's something we've all fought for in the disability community for a long time, and many choose to vote in person, which is important, but based on the circumstances, most states and counties are looking toward only vote by mail um, procedures right now because of COVID. So that's why we are stressed, uh, even more so uh, looking at this issue because it's really timely and can impact all of us. Um, Claire exactly. or Clark, yes, do sir. either of you want to mention, I know it's been on the list, but I, I know there's people on this call that haven't heard about it, how uh, the degree of accessibility that the census uh, website has? Yes. I think people might want to know that. Yes. Uh, just uh, one second and I will get to that, Jeff. Um, so the accessible voting is something that we're looking for inclusion in the fourth stimulus. Um, the fourth stimulus, uh, what we are hearing is that this will really focus on infrastructure spending. Um, so more spending in dollars that would kind of have a long lasting um, and slower rollout into the economy. So that's where, as Claire mentioned, the surface transportation bill, autonomous vehicles, and even um, voting infrastructure for the states would have a more long-lasting benefit. Um, the House and Senate, it's looking like they're going to be out until April 20th. So this will really be worked on on the staff level in the next few weeks. And then once the House and Senate are back in towards the end of April is when we could see movement on that front. Um, but to Jeff's point, not everything 
going on right now is COVID related. Um, I know that may come as a shock, but Washington is able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So today officially marks the day of uh, the day of record for the 2020 U.S. Census. Um, so thank you to everyone who listened on ACB Radio last week, as well as those who's joined on the live webcast. Uh, we were joined by Larry Carter, who is a member of the team for the U.S. Census Bureau, and he works in, um, he's a manager for national partnerships. Um, partners for the U.S. Census include the American Council of the Blind, as well as the Perkins Library. And this is the first census that is primarily being counted online. And for the most part, from what we've heard from ACB members is that they have found filling out the census online to be a very accessible and enjoyable experience. I will add that on the initial screen, it says to complete the census online with the latest version of JAWS and the latest version of Internet Explorer. Um, we'll just glance past that and disregard that. Uh, Jeff Bishop has made it abundantly clear to everyone that we should not be using Internet Explorer. It's no longer supported by Microsoft. There are security vulnerabilities. So use your favorite browser, uh, use uh, an up-to-date version of your favorite screen reader. There are only nine questions that are asked on the census. So they want to know your address, um, your name, age, race, and the relationship between you and the other members of your household. Um, Clark? Yes, sir. Let me clarify uh, your, your statement there. Um, Internet Explorer definitely is supported for enterprise customers, but it's definitely not a browser that Microsoft would recommend. Um, we, we have the new Microsoft Edge based on Chromium, which will uh, allow for that, but, uh, you know, for all of us. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and pretty much everyone is, for the most part, using any other things other than IE. So. Thank you for that clarification, Jeff. Um, so one question that came up um, during the, the census webinar was, uh, you know, didn't the census used to ask about income and uh, disability and where um, are those, those data points being included? Um, so th that is not included on the, the 10 year, the decennial census. Um, but that is included when the Census Bureau does the rolling American Community Survey. And for that survey, every year they sample a portion of the population um, to get a statistical representation of the population. So options for completing this, uh, the 2020 census, are to go to www. 2020census.gov or to call the phone line and that is 1-844-330-2020 and that's 1-844-330-2020. Uh, the census sent out a mailer with a 12-digit geographical identifier code you do not need that code. Um, so 
for all intents and purposes, uh, you don't need to scour your mail and look for that mailer from the census. You can call the 1844 number or you can go to the website and you are able to complete the census using your home address. So that makes it a lot simpler and easier for uh, all of us to do that. And they estimate it takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, that was true in, in my experience and the experience of many other ACB members. Um, so please do that. The 2020 census still determines congressional representation and how congressional districts are drawn. Um, so it's very important for us to, to all be counted. Uh, also, something you've been hearing about for the past two months, I'll ask Claire Stanley to, to come back because there is a, a looming deadline on Monday, April 6th, and that's to file comments at the Department of Transportation. Claire. Claire, you might be muted. Can you hear me now? Yes. Perfect. Um, so you've heard of snakes on planes. I like to call this dogs on planes. Um, the NPRM for Department of Transportation's comments requests for service animals on airlines and planes is due on Monday. Uh, so five days from now, I can do math. Um, they are asking several questions that pertain to bringing both service animals on planes as well as emotional support animals on planes. So some of the questions are things like, um, should there be a breed restriction? Should you have to sign some kind of form of attestation to bring your dog on? Uh, does your veterinarian need to sign a letter attesting to the behavior and the health of your dog? Um, should emotional support animals be led on planes, period? So a lot of really interesting questions. Um, we've outlined all of the major bullet points and sent them out both about two months ago when it first came out through the leadership email list. Um, but we also just resent that out yesterday. And when we sent them out yesterday, we included the comments that we've drafted in the national office. So you can see directly what the national office is going to submit. So please feel free to use those to base your comments off of them. If you have any questions or concerns or just want um, thoughts, you can look to those. But we really encourage everybody to submit comments. Um, for those of us who are guide dog users, who fly often, you guys have all had many experiences, I know I have. So um, the more voices, the louder. So we encourage you all to submit your comments. If you have any questions while you're doing it, feel free to reach out to me, I'd be happy to talk through it with you. You can call me at the national office. And if you have any difficulty submitting the comments on the federal register page, do not let that be a hindrance. Um, we would be more than, happy to help, more than happy to help you submit them on the website. So if anybody has questions, let me know. But again, just some major questions having to do with what animals can't and can't go on planes and the rights of our dogs and the rights of us in what we have to do in order to bring our guide dogs onto planes. So again, due on Monday. So everybody, please participate. Thank you, Claire. Uh, another approaching deadline uh, which the, the national office will be filing comments has to do with the Federal Communications Commission. Um, every two years, the FCC does a biannual report to Congress on the implementation of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. Uh, there is an NPRM, a Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, um, seeking 
seeking comments that was issued in early March and the comment deadline was this past Monday, March 30th. Fortunately, due to everything going on, that's been extended to April 14th. And the areas that they're really seeking comment on are the accessibility of wireless devices, so mobile phones, as well as mobile internet browsers. Um, so one thing that we've heard from a bunch of folks calling into the national office is wanting to know about a feature or basic phones, um, you know, cell phones that are the, the candy bar with push buttons or an old school flip phone, not a touchscreen smartphone that are accessible. And there are uh, very limited options in that regard that have uh, full accessibility as well as options that receive wireless emergency alerts, uh, which are becoming more and more important. So that is something that was, we'll, we will certainly be weighing in on uh, to the FCC to inform their report to Congress. Or also today, the FCC announced that they will be looking to expand the number of broadcast TV markets um, that must air content with audio description or that are covered by the FCC's audio description rules. Um, so currently it's the top 60 media markets and between now and 2024, they wanna add 10 markets a year to get that up to 100 um, broadcast TV markets that are covered. Um, so that's something that we, will be, that we will be following closely and weighing in on as well. Other items that are coming up for comments, uh, the Advocacy Services Committee, um, as well as the Rehab Issues Task Force are watching closely and uh, will be helping to draft comments to the Department of Education on uh, basically how to better provide technical support and services for the Older Individuals with Blindness Program. Uh, the comment deadline there is April 24th. And the, oh, this one's giving, giving me trouble all day. Um, the federal acquisition requirements, the FAR is looking to incorporate um, the, the revised 508 guidance, uh, 508 um, guidance, and that deadline for comment is June 1st. All right, um, Claire, can you think of anything that we've, anything that stands out to you that we've missed or glossed over and need to jump into further detail before opening it up to Q&A? No, I think um, just as a, a good segue into Q&A, I just wanted to stress that um, as Clark talked about earlier, we work alongside several other disability organizations um, very often because it makes our voice a little bit louder. And we've especially been told this time around with all the stimulus packages that we need to cohesively come together to let them know what we need. So we've been working on several letters with other organizations to stress what would be important to be in COVID for and onward. Um, and I've looked over those letters, they're really great. But I feel like sometimes the blind community's needs um, aren't necessarily 
always brought up. And so we're trying our best to absolutely stress everything that's important to us. So if we've missed anything, if you're thinking, wow, in, in, because of what's going on with COVID, it's really important that we have access access to A or B or C and Clark and I haven't brought it up, please let us know because I definitely want to make sure we bring it back to the larger group and say, hey, please, you know, don't forget to include X, Y, or Z. So if we haven't brought it up or it's important as pertaining to COVID, please let us know. And as we join with other organizations to either lead or co-sign letters that are going up to Congress, um, we're also trying to post those on the ACB, um, basically the COVID response page that is also available under news on the ACB homepage. Um, that provides information, not only advocacy related information, but also information pertaining to uh, the work that uh, our corporate partners are doing. So whether that's um, the work that Verizon or Comcast or Charter are doing to make internet more affordable and more available um, in the home so that students can study or people can work remotely. Uh, we're trying to post that information there as well. And on, on the topic of the internet, um, just, just know that a broad issue that we're tracking across um, all issue areas is still uh, website and technology accessibility. So again, whether that's education, employment, healthcare, uh, or someone earlier this week posted that grocery stores are looking at going to online ordering only. Um, that's something that we certainly wanna be made aware of and something that we will monitor to make sure that um, companies that do take that approach are doing so in an accessible manner. Great, I think we've had a couple of hands raised, so. Um. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, I wanna try to do the hand raising this time. Usually I mute, unmute everybody, we kinda go that way. I'd like to try with the hand raising. There's a lot of people here, there's over 40. So let's, uh, I'm just gonna go in order from, from the top to the bottom. I'm gonna uh, lower sure. your hand and then unmute you and then I'll mute you when you're done. So I'll and start. Yep, and Corey, just for reference, for folks who are on the phone, it is star nine to raise and lower your hand. If you are on the, the Zoom uh, smartphone application, you have to hit the more tab in the bottom right. And then in that menu or on that screen that appears, there'll be the, the raise hand option. And if you are on a desktop computer, it is alt Y to raise and lower your hand. Perfect. I was going to ask that question about the the phone. Okay. Oh, and look at that number jump. All right. There they go. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start with five five one zero. You're unmuted. You can ask your question. Should, should be. Corey, what are the last four digits of that phone number? Uh, let's see. One eight four four. Should be so, unmuted. Yeah, so if your phone number ends in 1844, you are currently unmuted. So, Steve Mendelson is trying to get at but where he is, I don't know. So, yeah, I'm that's trying who it to... is. 
510 and unmute. Yeah. Let's see. There you go. Oh, I'm there you're on. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, a number of people have expressed concern uh, over uh, whether or not the uh, $1,200 per person stimulus payment will have any effect upon the uh, myriad means-tested uh, uh, social programs that uh, many of our members live under. Uh, so, for example, there have been concerns expressed about subsidized housing, obviously about Medi Medicaid, obviously about SSI. Uh, can, you, can you speak uh, to those concerns? Um, this is Claire. Am I still on? Am I muted? Yep, you're good. Okay. Um, we haven't talked too much about those concerns, Steve, so I unfortunately don't have too much of an answer, but I'm working very closely with some um, members of NOSCAR who are the Social Security reps, and so if you can um, send me any specific questions, I would be happy to take those right back to the experts because we know there have been quite a few. Like you you very eloquently said, there have been quite a few um, nervous people coming forward so if you um if you're patient with me i can take those back and get all the information for you and claire this is eric <laughs> um i think that that's uh something that once we get an answer it would be good to communicate it far and wide because i do think that that's uh yes probably a fairly commonly thought of uh question in folks heads right now perfect we'll make sure we distribute it through all the different listservs and what have you and in some cases, how these these policies are actually going to be implemented, uh, the government is still figuring that out, right? So for folks who are on uh, social social security and do not file um, federal income tax uh, or a federal income tax return, you know the IRS is still figuring out how they're going to um, work with and get stimulus payments to those individuals um, so we'll certainly follow up with folks on that and share information uh, as it becomes available all right six eight two one you're unmuted Go ahead. hi it's margie donovan from california and i just wanted to make a brief comment and that's in reference to the um nprn uh with dot I know it's been perceived by many of our members as a guide dog issue. This actually has the greatest impact on those of us that are guide dog handlers, but it also has an impact on everyone that flies. Um, and I would really encourage people on this line tonight, uh, whether you're a guide dog handler or not, to take the time to write your comments because, for example, when you're sitting next to someone who has an emotional support animal and it's not well behaved, it impacts you. So I, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you, Margie. Yeah, thank you. Let's see. Uh, we have... Eight, three, three, Enzin. I'm going to unmute. Should be... There we go. There we go. Go ahead. Hi, it's Alice. One of the concerns that I have, and I, I don't know how to handle it, is, but I notice, especially when I, um, when my hospital 
or even my county commissioners are posting things they get from the CDC, it tends to be a PDF, you know, it's a picture of text. So it's information that I'm not getting. Now, I've, I've, I've gotten on to my county commissioners, so they're getting a little better about going ahead and typing the text in as well. But there's a lot of stuff still coming out from places and they're actual pictures and it's important information, but I have no way of knowing it. And I don't know how we resolve that, but I can't believe I'm the only one having that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I know when the, when the CDC started uh, tracking the statistics for the nation and state by state, um, the initial, the initial graphics on the website were not accessible. Um, then they made some changes and you could get the state by state numbers. I haven't checked the website in probably a week. They probably updated it and have made it inaccessible again. Um, so thank you for uh, Thank you for being proactive with your county commissioners to bring this to their attention. And this is certainly something that we can share with the, the CD, CDC as well. <coughs> Um, to make sure that their information is reaching the broadest possible audience. Get out of my way. This is my workspace, not yours. Uh, 2048, I'm going to unmute this person. 2048. Go ahead. Hi, this is Margie, could, excuse me for one second. Margie, you are, un, you are still uh, oh, unmuted. Oh, I thought Did I was muted. Yourself? No. I hit it. I yes. definitely hit it. Yes, I will go do that. Okay. Is it yep, okay? Good. To, yep, 204. Okay. You're good. <laughs> okay. Can you, well, let me do my concern first. My concern is there's a lot of announcements talking about assistance for seniors that might need to get groceries or have other essentials, um, help procuring those. Um, and visually impaired or disabled people are not mentioned in those ever. I don't see any reference to them or anything. Oh. And I'm concerned that there are people that don't have ways of doing that. And where paratransit yeah, to and from isn't their only concern. Yeah, that's right. And then I don't understand what FAR is and just wondered if you could briefly explain that. And I'll mute again. Go ahead, Claire. Oh, I was just going to ask the second part. You said, can you explain what what is? Can you Far, what you and said? that's the uh, the federal acquisition, yeah. I'll say requirements, um, but it's the, the regulations that the federal government uses. With contractors and subcontractors. So for example, in the, in the space of 508 compliance, um, it would be ensuring that contractors to the federal government are uh, supplying their services through accessible websites. Um, and then the first part of the question, Claire, would you like to take a shot at the um, uh, communications for services for the elderly don't necessarily include information for people with disabilities? 
Sure. Can I can I just clarify? Are you talking about like services that your your city or your county are providing are accommodating the elderly but not persons with disabilities? Is that the the concern? Yes. Um, there's <laughs> like all kinds of things announcements going out. If you're having trouble getting groceries and you're a senior, if you want to have special shopping hours and you're a senior and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times they say no one can go to the store for you. I know some people mm. go to the store. Some people have someone go for them. There's all yeah. kinds of strategy, that kind of thing. For sure. And other supplies, like yeah. medical supplies, toilet paper, that kind of stuff. Of course. So those are things that are dealt with more at a city or a county level. So as far as, you know, dealing with them at a national level, it's a little bit more difficult for us. Um, so I would say two things. One, that's a great way for you to advocate for yourself. So go forth. Um, but two, if you're doing that and you're not having success, please call me, Claire, at the national office and we can do some direct advocacy for you. But as far as the national policy, it's a little bit difficult because it's so um, city county based, but we would be happy to, to advocate for you if you're, you're still having some troubles. So give me a call. Okay. And sure, this is Clark as well. Um, when it comes to say, for example, um, a special shopping hours for seniors or people being able to shop for you, I'd, I'd recommend calling your local store. Um, they are certainly still a part of the, the community and their, their main goal is to be able to provide services for their customers. So mm -hmm. I'd, I'd recommend reaching out to them as well and explaining to them the situation and asking them for an accommodation in that regard. Right, so a couple labels of iPhone, but someone has an iPhone label. I'm gonna unmute them and go ahead. Is that me? That's probably yes. you. Yes. All right. <laughs> Mr. Crawford. It's Charlie Crawford, yes. yes. Um, I just wanted to um, alert the group to the, um, and I know that people have probably heard about this, but there is a, letter that was sent to GDUI and to a number of other organizations um, in which the uh, people writing the letter, um, I can't remember the name of their organization, but it's one of those that advertises or allows on the internet to, um, you can buy a uh, uh, equipment for your dog or mm. whatever. And um, let me just shut this, there you go. So um, the whole point is that there, their interest may not be the same as, as ours, particularly in the area of allowing for emotional support animals to be um, allowed on planes. And, and basically they're in opposition to the NPRM language um, that the Department of Transportation wants. And GDY is clearly on the side of DOT in terms of our advocacy that the Department of Justice uh, interpretation of a service animal needs to be the one that's honored. And mm -hmm. the point is that this other organization lists at the end of the letter a bunch of uh, other organizations, including the Paralyzed Veterans of America and the National Federation of the Blind and uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind and other organizations, which I highly doubt support their position mm. um, and so ACB should be aware of that so that if any 
of uh, the operational people in Washington asked the question relative to is the position of the organization consistent with all these other organizations that are in agreement that emotional support animals ought to be allowed? Um, the answer really should be no. And uh, I already know that it is, but I want to make sure that uh, we don't get duped into the idea that other organizations that are usually friendly to our interest um, are, in fact, in favor of that position when I'm pretty sure that they're not. Hmm. Thank you, Charlie. That's really good yeah. to know. And I, I might actually reach out to you guys at GDUI to, to take a peek at that letter. So thank you okay. very much. Yeah, yeah Char Charlie, please share that letter with us. Um, will do. I, I will say that the, the cross-disability community is split on the issue. There are certainly mm -hmm. organizations that support having a special, special designation for emotional support animals. Um, we've certainly shared with them the, the ACB and the GDUI position. Um, so there will be some differences there, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see the other organizations, like you said, uh, GDB and NFB and others who are, who are also on this letter. We'll do. Thanks, Charlie. I just muted Charlie again. Um, back to the top. We've got seven, eight, uh, sorry, one, eight, four, four. Unmute. Oh. You might have unmuted yourself, but I'll do it again. There you go. Let's see. Give that number again, Corey. It was 1844 is unmuted. You're good. Go ahead. Oh. I, uh, that, uh, that sounds like me, Steve yep, Nelson. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Uh, a quick, quick question then. Uh, with respect to the provisions bearing upon the possible waiver of IDEA rights, is it your understanding that the report that the DOE will be submitting will be one requesting the authority to blank certain to grant certain blanket waivers, or one requesting it be given the authority to grant waivers upon request by the states? Sure. Um I don't know. Uh, that's my that's my short answer before getting myself into trouble by speculating. Um, so initial answer is I am unsure. And then my second answer is that I think that because it's being done at the Department of Education level and requests from them, that it would be blanket waivers that would apply to all states. Um, I also think that these would be temporary waivers for the uh, the new coronavirus COVID-19 crisis. Um, but I'd say a long-standing concern would be once folks get used to having these waivers in place, what happens um, in the next year or two when IDEA comes up for reauthorization. Um, also, if I'm just free to speculate here, um, I think that there will be, uh, they'll look at ways to roll back um, the provisions in IDEA that provide for one-on-one um, -on -one or hands-on in-person teaching and education um, for students with disabilities. But again, we, we won't know that until the Department of Education um, submits their report back to Congress. So 
everything I just said is idle speculation. But you're probably once, right. Once, once the report comes out, Clark and I will do our due diligence to scour it and find out everything we can, and then we can share more information. And we are certainly blessed to have uh, folks within ACB as well as other organizations um, with a lot of institutional knowledge and mm -hmm. expertise in this arena. Um, so we will be relying on them and leaning on them uh, for assistance on this topic as well. Definitely. Thank you. I just... I've lost my window. Hold on one side. I've just uh, raised my hand, but... And me too. Thank you. Uh, the gentleman. Yeah, this is Chris Pendrick. I'm a teacher of the visually impaired, um, yep. also uh, low vision and part of CCB. Um, the the memo that came out, I can speak a little bit to the DOE language. Um, again, speculation of what happens in 30 days. Thankfully, they were able to do that. But uh, DeVos and um, deputy for OCR did submit a thing. Um, I don't know if it was an MOU, but uh, just a statement to all the special education directors that um, just just because we're going through this does not mean that instruction cannot be delivered through other means and it can be delivered through distance learning and there was some clarification on definitely that that should be maintained and TVIs as well as you know, O&Ms and those kind of other people, uh, service providers are to maintain that and support their instruction, those students in the, that instructional matter. That was very um, nice to hear, nice to see. Uh, OCR uh, also had a, um, a video about that and that they're being supportive. And if there are any discriminations, to definitely you know, contact them and they'll go through the appeals process. But again, we'll see what happens after 30 days goes. But um, it, it sounds like in our community, in the education community, they're really rallying around this because there's a lot of success with instructing from home and, and distance learning, those kind of things. But um, again, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I could forward that letter to you if, if, if you haven't um, come across it or, or aware of it at this point, but I just wanted to make a quick comment on that. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And yes, please share that with us. Absolutely. I think I, yeah, I'll just go on the website and click your email and send yep. it to you. You, you can send Thank it you. to advocacy at acb.org. Perfect. All right, I have Christine. I'm going to unmute. And let's see. Unmute. There you yes, go. I am. Go ahead, Christine. Okay. Um, I have two comments. Um, I think they required the same thing when in 2001 after 9-11 when they gave that money out to uh, stimulate the economy that people had to file tax, uh, those short forms to, mm -hmm. um, to, to actually get the rebate even though um, they weren't normally someone who would have filed a return. And I suspect that someone will say that that's how it should be done now. The other thing I was going to say about the uh, grocery stores, et cetera, is it's true that the stores are local 
but many of them are really large national chains like Publix and Kroger's and Safeway, and I could go on, and Whole Foods and all of those organizations, if we hit them nationally and said, you can't forget these people, um, it would, it, you know, a national organization talking to a national organization might well have a little bit of clout if there's, if there's an issue like that. And that's all I have sure. to say. Great. And thank you for that, Christine. I, I definitely agree with you that um, a national organization reaching out to the national chains um, could certainly help influence their overarching policy. Um, I think that that may have a little bit of a of a longer um, timeline or horizon. Um, and for immediate assistance, I, I would still recommend that folks reach out um, and contact their individual stores, but that's certainly uh, an approach that we can take on, especially if a store goes to online only ordering um, or a chain goes to online only ordering and they're doing that with an inaccessible service. Um, and then Claire, the, uh, she, Christine raised, raised a good point that the, the current provision for filing those uh, simple tax returns that was used in the previous rounds of uh, direct stimulus payments to individuals. Um, so if it was used before, why not use it again? <laughs> I know there's still a lot of concerns, you know, for why that's not the best method coming out of the mouths of different disability organizations. Um, so we were, you know, we're, we're talking about what would be best just because something worked at one point almost 20 years ago does not mean it was the best solution. So um, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, Doreen, you're and next. Before we get to Doreen, just to add on to Claire's point, um, there are estimates that uh, close to 20% of eligible folks either receiving um, Social Security or VA benefits uh, did not receive the previous rounds of stimulus uh, because they didn't file the necessary paperwork. Um, so That's we want to make sure that, uh, especially ACB members, but anyone who's on Social Security or a veteran receiving a VA benefit, um, that they are, A, aware of the process that needs to be followed, but B, that it's as, as simple as possible, especially when the government already has their uh, personal and account information. So this is Doreen. I got my phone unmuted. I, yep. totally, wanted, I totally wanted to echo the comments about, um, well, about things that support people with disabilities, um, a couple that come to mind. And, and I think that really is both a work locally with other disability organizations and uh, figure out when we need to apply pressure. Um, one I saw on Twitter this week is um, that people, when they get their SNAP benefits, you want to make sure that the supply chain makes puts the the food in the locations where there's a lot of people getting SNAP mm -hmm. benefits because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of hoarding and weird buying patterns going on. Um, I think those that was the main thing with the. Um, also, as far as like inaccessibility of local websites, you just I, I want to just totally reiterate it's worth keep talking to them, um, talk to them about what needs what works for you, 
and what doesn't work about what they're doing. And also there's a little bit of space for um, like, I always have to remember some little trick. Like the other day I did two different apps where I have an Android phone and I needed to tap with two fingers instead of one. And there's weird little stuff like that, that we got to share information among ourselves, but definitely county government should be able to do stuff that's accessible. And, you know, like, in King County right now, we're having a conversation because there's some meetings by conference call, and the, one of the questions is, how do deaf people participate? So mm-hmm. so there's serious need for working with people across disabilities. But thank you. This has been a really valuable call. Thank you, Dorian. And uh, your second part is something that's really been on my mind about technology because we've all know that technology, unfortunately, is often inaccessible but it's amplified now because we're all stuck at home doing so many things via phone or computer. So please, if you guys see any significant patterns of really big companies or services or products or, you know, state use program, whatever it is, if you're seeing major themes, please let us know. And on Doreen's point, I'd also encourage folks to listen to the Uh, the Advocacy Update podcast that will air this Thursday. Claire and I had a great conversation with Marcy Roth from Mm -hmm. the World Institute on Disability. Um, Marcy, since 9-11, has dedicated herself to emergency preparedness, um, especially through the lens and uh, for people with disabilities. Um, so it was a it was a great conversation, and it touches on a lot of a lot of these same overarching themes and points. Nice plug, Clark. That's that's what I'm here for, Clark. Right. <laughs> Hello, Shalastrin, you're unmuted. Go ahead. Hello. Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Olivia Ostergaard. I'm from Fresno, California, and I've heard. Um, I was reading online this week. There are some folks in our area or even in um, uh, other parts of the country that, and I heard this on the news the other night, that they had fined uh, or possibly cited or even arrested folks that were not um, using the uh, six-foot social distancing. Mm -hmm. And my concern is if someone in a wheelchair who's by themselves and need someone to help push them if it's not a manual chair or whatever and or those of us that like for instance my husband and I we go walking because I'm diabetic and we have to I have to walk and so we will go out and about and we'll walk he walks um my retired guide dog on the left and I hang on to him on the right with my cane uh using my cane in my right hand uh you know, who's to say that the, that the police or whomever won't try to pop us for not using the social distancing? What do we do in those situations? Thanks, Olivia. Um, that's a, a definitely a concern, I'm sure, um, that people could be worried about. Fortunately, I haven't heard of any situations where people have been penalized for that. Um, I, I like to think that people use, you know, common sense. However, if it does become an issue, if anybody hears of that, please let us know as soon as possible. Um, But fortunately, I haven't heard any of those situations, but please be our eyes and our ears and let us know. Great. Thank you so much. To echo Claire's point, the the situations of people getting arrested or cited that that I'm familiar with are um, people holding 
coronavirus parties with mm-hmm. you know 60 of their closest friends um, a lot mm-hmm. of states and localities they're going by the the cdc and white house guidance of no more than 10 people um, and I think a lot of the local jurisdictions are understanding that, you know, family units can be within six feet because they're closer than six feet with one another inside uh, a household. Um, But again, if you hear of any instances where um, somebody with a a disability or family members with a disability are being, um, in, in that instance, targeted, please share that with us. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Right, Chris Bell, uh, you should be good, I believe. Hi, this is Chris Bell. There you go. Um, I have reason to believe that there are a lot of centers on aging that do not reach out to older people with vision impairments and whose websites are not accessible and whose programs and services are not accessible for people uh, who are blind or visually impaired. And uh, I wonder if there's a way to look into that from a national perspective under the Older Americans Act. Chris, I think that's a, that's a really interesting a really interesting uh, topic that you raise, um, you and too. something that I, I you've been sharing a lot of great information here um, on the list this past week, and I I would hope that you'd be able to share some uh, some further information with us uh, with Claire and me over email on that topic, so that we can ensure the rehab issues task force and the Advocacy Services Committee Task Force are aware of it as we re- as we prepare comments for um, RSA and the, the older individual, individuals with blindness program. Okay, well, one one other issue I want to raise: one of our members um, appears to have COVID nineteen, although he doesn't have the test results back. But he was working uh, for a workshop. I don't know whether it's NIB. Uh, owned or controlled, um, but it was uh, it was considered an essential function because it was doing military contract work. At any rate, uh, he had uh, sought uh, requirement that they at least take the temperature of the workers coming into work, and uh, the workshop refused. So now he's in the hospital having difficulty breathing, and I wondered whether uh, anybody's contacted uh, OSHA. Uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and whether they're doing anything with CDC for when people start to come back to work uh, so that uh, we have measures in place to protect uh, our uh, blind and visually impaired employees at these workshops, uh, plus other places. Yeah, that that's a great point and something that we can look into. Um, from my understanding, most uh, most businesses are following the recommendations of um, their state and local governments, um, but we can certainly look and see if if OSHA has put out any guidance for employers as well. Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be necessary because uh, 
I, I don't think most employers know how to, you know, if their manufacturing system is designed so people are going to work uh, on the line uh, and they're going to be less than six feet apart, they're not going to, you know, redesign their line. But if there's a way to deal with that from a national standard uh, point of view, I think that should be considered. Thank you. Chris, this is Jeff Tom. To your first point, I will, uh, at our next Vision Serve um, senior coalition meeting, I will broach that topic. There may be an, a national entity uh, for area agencies on aging that we can reach out to to uh, pursue that. So I'll follow up with that. Thank you. So this is Claire, breaking news. I just got a very short and cryptic email, but one of the uh, advocacy organizations, the ARC that we've been working on for the uh, recovery rebates issue with SSI, she uh, makes it sound like there has been some positive progress made in that. So as we talk, progress is being made. So I just wanted to share that and we'll share more information as it comes out. It was a very brief email, but it looks like the, the wheels are turning. And, it, and there's been a, um, I shared with Claire earlier today an article, I believe it was from the Washington Post, but um, several members of Congress, I think it was 34 members of the House of Representatives had sent a letter to um, the IRS and the Treasury on that topic as well. So it's certainly an issue that had caught the, the national spotlight and attention. All right, so Chris Fendrick should be unmuted. Thank you. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah you're good. Yeah, I, I made my point earlier. Um, sorry to um, crowd the line. I'm not sure I just clicked on mute earlier. And it no big, your hand was so, still raised, so I just got yeah. through that. Oh, uh, okay, cool. And then uh, I just sent that link to the advocacy at uh, acb.org so just letting you know thank you Perfect. thank you appreciate thank it you so much all right so now we're going to lynn coral go ahead uh that's corral but that's okay corral <laughs> anyway Sorry. it's okay um i had a couple of questions one is yes i know about the ssi is good but i get retirement income now and you know from social security of my working years and one of the things that i want to know is does this also apply the irs thing applies to us too as uh, people who work and are old now <laughs> is that right yes are you asking whether you will yeah. receive the recovery rebate as well right yes you will mm -hmm. and the other thing i wanted to know about was the older blind monies these the uh, chapter two or or, t or whatever the heck it's titled uh, Section seven of whatever it is um, of the Rehabilitation Act. What sort of changes do you expect to see in the reauthorization of that? Uh, so to to elaborate on on Claire's point, as as it stands right now, um, folks who are older and on Social Security, um, you'd have to file the simplified tax return from IRS. Um, which is which will be made available on the irs.gov website. We will. It sounds like we've had some positive developments there, and we will certainly let folks know if that's if that changes. Um, but I, I just don't want to say anything premature um, on that front. And then with 
the Older Individuals with Blindness program, um, the communication, uh, the notice that was sent out from the um, Office of uh, Special Education, um, I believe it was from OSERS, excuse me if I'm getting a bit scrambled here. Um, they're really looking for ways to improve services and technical support to state agencies who are serving um, older individuals with blindness. So I don't think that there will necessarily be a, a funding change, um, but trying to find ways to better communicate um, so that more people know that these services are available and then finding ways to stretch the dollars and make the resources that they have go further. So the formula is not going to change, is that correct? Uh, to my understanding, I, I did not see anything in the notice that in, that said the formula would change. And um, the services for older blind people or maybe people who have gone blind later in life, that's not me, but other people who go blind and the rehabilitation monies and services are still going to be allocated for people who are older and blind? That is my current understanding. Uh, it's really a way to try to provide, with the existing funding, provide um, better, more complete services to those individuals, as well as make sure that folks who are eligible for those services know that those services exist. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Clark. Thank you for the questions. So we have... Um... 9833. It's Alice again. And yep. I just wanted to say, Clark, and, and clear that I did see a commercial this afternoon. Now, I don't have a Kroger's where I live. It's strictly Publix, but we do have Kroger's here in Georgia. But I did see a commercial again today. It was actually on TV this time where they're talking about going to online. And the, the way they made it sound was they're going to start with a few and then they may go to all. So th that's the first thing, just to let you know, I did see an advertisement about it. My second thing is, with the voting, and I meant to ask this earlier, in Georgia here, we've been trying forever to get the Secretary of State's office to talk to us about voting by mail to make it more accessible, and they fought us. And now with the fact that they are talking about everybody going to voting by mail, although our Secretary of State swears that we've got these new machines and we're going to vote in, in person no matter what, and they're going to take all these precautions. And I'm, I, I don't know that the governor will let it happen in the end, but even if so, the new machines they got are not really accessible, even though they claim they are. But my question is, we've tried to set up a meeting with him. Um, we called him yesterday, and his excuse was to talk about if we go to, you know, mail voting that needs to be accessible. And what he wrote back and said was, we will train the staff on voting by mail accessibility. And I'm thinking that's not the issue. There's nothing for the staff to do. It's a matter of making it so we can do it independently. Yeah. But he refuses to meet with us because he claims because they're working from home, they have no way to do a conference call. And I, I guess my question is, what do we do? How, how do we approach this when, you know, now they're using the virus as an excuse as to why they can't meet with us? Hmm. Uh, we would certainly be willing to offer uh, an ECB conference line. 
for <laughs> for you to hold a meeting with the Secretary of State or the Governor's office there in Georgia. Um, additionally, we can we're working with some um, organizations here in, in the at the national level, and we would certainly be willing to to pass on um, information. Uh, for you to share with or to, to help you inform your conversation with, with the state on this topic. All right. Well, then, can I, can I give you a call at some point then um, so that we yes, can please. talk about it, Clark, more? Yes, please. Alice, the, this is Jeff. The other thing to consider is if you have any connections with a legislator, legislator in your state, um, you might have him or her or their staff put some pressure on your Secretary of State. Sometimes well, you have to go at it indirectly. Unfortunately, Jeff, the person that's on our side for blind issues is a Democrat. And as you know, the uh, governor and the Secretary of State are Republicans. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> And finding a Republican that's willing even to take, cause I, to take on the issues is hard. And in fact, part of the problem is the person who was Secretary of State when we first started talking about by mail voting is now the governor. Mm. So... And the, I, this is an issue that has just so many ramifications down the line. Um, not only could just the, the coronavirus in general could result in suppressed voter turnout, but especially those who it's already difficult uh, to vote, whether that's transportation of getting to a polling place or now with the conversation of vote by mail, um, folks who are not able to read, folks who have trouble seeing the ballot, or folks with physical impairments that makes it, make it difficult to sign, seal, and mail uh, an envelope. Uh, this could be an issue that severely uh, hampers turnout and the amount of votes counted um, at the, not just the primaries, but the upcoming fall election. Um, and as we all know, that if your voice is not heard, there there can be significant ramifications for programs and funding down the line. Um, so this is something that's uh, front of mind for for not only ACB but many other organizations as well. So thank you, Alice. And unfortunately, Georgia has a history of being one of the most fervent states to attempt voter suppression. So. You've got you've got a difficult uh, uh, problem ahead of you, but I know there are probably other entities in your state that are, you know, would help you work on this, but I can't necessarily identify them. Jeff and Clark, just a time check. It is nine thirty. Yep, I was just about to say the same thing. Uh, how many more hands do we have? Raise five. One, two, three, four, Corey. Five, six. 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 Wow. I think uh, we're going to have to cut it off pretty soon here, folks. Uh, are there, of those hands that are raised, are there issues that, uh, how many of you have issues that have not yet been covered? Yes, I have. Okay, Steve, you, you've had like two questions, so I think it's not fair. This is Sheila, and I haven't gotten to speak yet. 
Okay, do you, can, are you and this okay, is Dom, the and two I haven't of you? Okay, hang on. Uh, are the two of you okay for the folks who have not yet had a chance to go on a few minutes longer? Yes, that's fine. Yeah, probably. Okay. All right. Uh, all right, then I heard Sheila first, so let's go with okay. her. And then um, Dom. I'll make mine really quick, and, and I feel it's been so long since it was talked about, but um, I wanted to dovetail on what Charlie Crawford said about the fact that there are a lot of organizations in the disabilities movement who are not in seeing with us and most of the guide dog schools. And the other day I went up on the site to see if my comment had made it up because I hadn't received any notice, and I did find it. And I have to say that I only saw a few names of people that I recognized who had posted comments. And that really distresses me. And then the other final thing that I want to say is along with what Charlie so um, correctly brought up about the fact that a lot of organizations aren't, aren't really in tandem with us, um, there are a ton of messages up there from people who are not... Um, sharing our views and I don't know if <laughs> if DOT ranks <laughs> ranks you know the the importance or the you know <laughs> the efficacy of different remarks but I just if you send out any more remarks I would really really make a plea for the points that Charlie and I have made we, we just we're not making a good showing up there folks hmm. yeah, thank you Sheila, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And uh, as folks heard, it, it's more important than ever to make sure our voices are heard and represented. And I think we had one more comment yeah, question. Yeah, someone, there's one more person that said they wanted to speak. Uh, yeah, that's me, Donna Browning. Yeah, you were next. Yes. Okay, so um, forgive me if you answer this and I didn't understand, may not have caught it or understood. So um, I work part time and also get um, social security disability. And as you know, um, you know, since they're getting ready to give us a stimulus check, I'm curious if they're going to consider that a part of our income. Uh, and if if it makes us go over, will they count it against us? That is a great question. My first knee-jerk reaction is that no, it will not be considered part of your income because of its uniqueness. But like it had come up before, I believe it was Steve had asked us some questions or maybe someone else about the different implications. It's such a new thing and such a rare thing that um, I'm going to start poking around and doing my homework. And like Clark said, a lot of this is even to be determined. Um, so we will make sure to add that to the list of different verifications um, that we can find out. And once we have it, we'll share share it with everybody. Okay, because I was wondering if I should <laughs> give up my second check of the month, even though it's going to be because I'm on quarantine. Um, I um, won't make as much as usual, but it still concerns me that um, I would go, in fact, I know I would go over. Mm -hmm. So um, it does concern me. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So that is something that is, as soon as we have information, we will 
be sure to share it with ACB membership. Um, but unfortunately, that's uh, yet to be determined at this time. Okay. Um, I'm sorry I brought it up again. I just didn't, when I heard no, y'all no talking, I didn't, I didn't um, recognize the question coming up. And um, I apologize for that. <laughs> no, no, no need to apologize. Not a problem. That just drives home uh, what a, an important issue this is for our membership. So thank you. There are four more hands, but do you guys want to just be done or want to take them or yeah. to you guys? Um, uh, at, at this point, I, I think I would recommend that folks who, who still have questions to reach out to Claire and me at advocacy at acb.org um, or to give us a call at the uh, the national office. Um, but Jeff, maybe this yeah, because we have we, gone over. Yeah, maybe this is something that we revisit, uh, you know, in the next month or two. I want to thank uh, both Clark and Claire for their outstanding uh, work on this phone call, and I want to thank each and every one of you who took the time this evening. I hope if you didn't get your question answered that you continue to communicate uh, with the office and that uh, and I can assure you that we will do this again uh, in the future. So uh, thanks to everyone and all, all of you stay safe and well. Thank you, Claire, as we always, as we always end the podcast with. Keep advocating everybody.